I am Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to be with you. And here we are, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. Uh, in a series, I'm going to spend the next three weeks, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not a long chapter, but we know, listen, 1 Corinthians 13, what kind of chapter is it? It's the what chapter? You, you need to like love. Okay, ready, set, go. Yeah, whatever. Okay. So um, God loves you. God loves you. Um, it's a love chapter. And we often, we have read it in numerous uh, weddings and it's great text. Here's what you're going to figure out today. I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary in a moment, but here's what we need to figure out. And we're going to discover this chapter is actually Paul rebuking the people in Corinth. It's fascinating, and I'm not saying we shouldn't read it at weddings and stuff like that. It's a great text. I think we should. It's wonderful, wonderful. But it's fascinating that we have romanticized a rebuking. Love is patient. Love is, I'm reading it like, I don't know, I went Eeyore. Do you know Eeyore? Thanks for noticing. Um, the, I don't know why I did that. But, like, we've romanticized a chapter that's all about being rebuked. So here's why. Corinth, 146 years before Christ, it was moving. It, Corinth was a, a place that connected the northern provinces from the southern provinces. And in 146, Rome came in and blew it up, basically. He just said, you're done. And they destroyed everything in Corinth. And so then all of a sudden, about 40, 45 years before the time of Jesus Christ, roughly about a century later, here comes Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar says, you know what? We have some opportunity here. Everybody say opportunity. So he's like, opportunity here. Why? Because it was a trade route. You had to go through there. There was a lot of money to be made. So Corinth ended up being, yes, full of sexual immorality. It ended up being a place um, that really drew in a lot of the doers. Like the people who could make things happen, the people who were the most educated and had just amazing gifts. You, we see, and I'll jump into this in a moment, but we see that they had every gift that they could possibly imagine and everything that they needed. They were legit. And so here they are. Julius Caesar says, we're going to start this again. It becomes a colony there for Rome. And it was a key trade route. We know it connected a lot of different places. And so when Julius Caesar came in and restarted it de just four decades before the time of Jesus Christ, roughly, um, what it was doing, I, this is one of the things I think Corinth does. Corinth, because of who comprised and made up Corinth, it shows that Jesus can change anyone. It shows that Jesus can change anyone. Because with gifting and with talent and with resources, what accompanies that? Pride. They were prideful people. They thought they could do anything that they wanted to get away with. It didn't really matter. They were arrogant people, but they were smart. Today, I'm going to be able to unpack a lot about the love of Christ and what Paul is trying to communicate. I'm going to encourage you probably more than most weeks. Uh, it's going to take me two-thirds of the time just to unpack to get to verse 1. So just get ready. You're not going to stand for a while. Um, I would really encourage, I'm going to link this to so many different places in Scripture, what's happening and what's taking place. You're going to want to write some of this down. 
at least the verses and the passages that I call out. Because this is a great day for you to go, oh, now how I see it's connected to this, and I see how this is connected to that. Because here are these people right away in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. It tells us, this is way back, if you go to the beginning of the year, I started preaching this. It says, you're not lacking in any gift. You're just waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people, they weren't lacking in any gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I just preached it last week, and chapter 14 in a month, we'll dive into that. Chapter 12 and chapter 14 are all about the gifts. Chapter 12 is saying, here are all these gifts and all these talents that I give to people, and you have all of these, and you're exercising these gifts. And chapter 14 is going to be more instruction on how you should and how you should not use those gifts. But he's saying, listen, you have everything you want, but you're, you're not... You're not being able to do all that you could because you're not doing those things with the love of Christ. Now, here's the dilemma that we have is we have taken the word love and it's, we have construed that in ways. And I tell you, we have so many different definitions. But everybody's like, love is what? No, love is God of God. That's how I would tell you to combat that right away because to say love is love means that anybody can define love however they want to define love. Love is of God. It says God is love. So knowing that love is of God, and he's telling them, you have every talent, every resource, it doesn't matter. Here's, here's another thing you're going to see today is so often we would rather have a talent than to be spirit-filled. Because we know how to celebrate talents, right? If somebody wins a World Series, we throw a what? Parade. We have a parade. If, if somebody wins championship of anything, we throw, if, if we had Jenison and Hudsonville combined, they won, and I think they've done that recently, but like if we had all of a sudden we win the Little League World Series, there'd be some kind of party or parade, something to celebrate that. And I think that's cool. I think we should do that. But what I'm saying is we celebrate talent, and we don't, I've never seen a party or a parade yet that says, man, these people are so spirit-filled, let's have a parade. Let's make floats and get confetti and have candy and we're going to throw it out from the floats and get giant tractors and pull things and just shut down Baldwin Street and we're going to have a big parade. Why? Because people are spirit-filled. You ever seen that parade? I haven't seen that parade. Because we know how to celebrate talent rather than celebrating spirit-filled. And here he's going to jump in. He's like, you've got every talent there is, 1 Corinthians 1, 7. He goes into it in chapter 12. You have this talent. You have people with these resources and these opportunities. But yet you don't have the spirit of God. You don't have the love of Christ dwelling in you. So it doesn't really matter. In chapter 13, he's going to let them know that the environment, the culture that you have is what determines whether or not the gifts can be functioning properly within the church, within the community. So you even had the container last week. I could bring it back out, big container. You have all the balls inside of it and all, all the balls are the gifts, but the container, if it's not held in love, it does not matter. And so chapter 12, 14 covers the gifts of the spirit, but we find out that if it's not done in love, it doesn't matter. Even in Galatians chapter five, there's a passage for you. In Galatians chapter five, in fact, I'll go ahead and go to that now. In Galatians five, five and six, and then 13, 14. In Galatians five, it tells us, and these are the words of Paul, of course, and he says, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Meaning it doesn't matter what you do necessarily in terms of if you can circumcise, uncircumcise, because Jews and Gentiles made a big deal about that. He said, listen, if you're not doing that through love, it doesn't matter. 13 and 14. 
Galatians chapter 5. For you, for, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to get what you want, to exercise just your talents and to be able to be prosperous, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is a container that everything else should be fitting within. And the people in Corinth were so concerned about which gift and which talent that they possessed, they started to celebrate that, right? We throw parades for people with certain talents. They were so consumed by the talent and the ability that they could have that they forgot that it was about having the enjoying of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ within them that mattered more than anything else. That is, at the end of chapter 12, he says, and this is where we concluded last week, he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. He's about to show the more excellent way to live life. It's not just about being talented. Right, I know, and I'm going to keep harping on this for a little bit because I think it matters to us a lot because um, over the last decade or so, I've lived here in West Michigan. I love it. And yet every place I've lived, it doesn't matter, Alabama or Georgia or Kentucky or Connecticut or here, and I've lived all these places, and I go, wait a second here. Um, everybody has a different vibe. Everybody lives in a bubble of some sort. Everybody's like, West Michigan is a bubble. Anywhere is a bubble. Whatever you grow accustomed to, that is now your new bubble. Everywhere is a bubble. So everybody lives in a bubble um, and according to what you know and what you're accustomed to. Makes sense. Well, West Michigan. In West Michigan, one of the characteristics of the bubble of West Michigan, um, and, and it's the same. I know people watch from other places. It's the same for you. It's just a matter of where you are. But one of the characteristics of living in the bubble of West Michigan is, man, we like things neat and orderly and controlled, don't we? Anybody else like everything organized in your house? Like if your garage, I, I literally had somebody say, Lynn, I'm going to listen to you today, but I can't come to church um, because I've got to organize my garage. Like they, they had a twitch because their garage wasn't organized. And so now, and they actually viewed success based on the organization and they didn't, they weren't able to relax unless everything was perfectly organized. And so now they weren't coming to worship with brothers and sisters on a day so that they could get that garage organized because they couldn't relax or rest otherwise. Now, I'm not saying that's completely wrong. You're going, what? Did I just surprise any of you? But what I am saying, when that dominates your eagerness to worship the creator, there's a problem. There's a problem. And so that's one of the characteristics of the bubble here. Also, we believe that we have this idea of this is how things have to be done. And if somebody doesn't do things that way, then we actually take offense to it and we will start to judge them and we will start to determine whether or not they're right or wrong. Is it, am I, am I, anybody like, yep, he knows, yep, yep. Anybody raise your hand. Anybody at all. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody, you know, all right. So does anybody know someone like that? Raise your hand. Is okay. Now watch this. Anybody here like that? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Well, well played. Um, so here he's they're struggling because they're, they're elevating the talents and their gifts and their ability to say, this is what I'm good at. And so imagine this, 
Somebody steps in and they go to high school, they graduate from high school, name the high school, doesn't matter. And then they go to school, they get a business degree. And now all of a sudden we, after 30 years, their goal was to be a business owner. So now they have seven businesses. They own a cottage on every lake in, lake, in, in, in Michigan. Every lake, they have, they have 743 cottages and they have a boat at every cottage and they have all these businesses. And so what they have are a lot of people who try to get their phone number and they call them up and say, hey, will you, they wanna be a business owner too, will you what me? Yeah, will you mentor me? What you're going to hear today is, hey, listen, if you're not doing that in the context of love, they're gonna get a, imagine that person getting a phone call and a guy says, listen, um, I, I love what you've done. I think it's great, but I'm just here to tell you something. None of it matters. I wanna tell you about how to live according to the love of Christ. That person will probably be a bit offended because they're used, we build up people based on their talent. They're accustomed to people calling them and saying, hey, will you mentor me because you're doing all the things that the world says is awesome and I wanna do that too because then I'll feel good about myself. And yet then they get you to call them up and you say, I really don't think anything you're doing matters. I wanna tell you how to love according to the love of Jesus Christ because without that, you have nothing. Nothing, zilch, nada. I know no other languages that say nothing. And we would be offended by that. If that resonates to you in the least, today may be a hard day for you. It may be a difficult day for you. Because here's the struggle that we have. Guys, here's the, we know it, but here's the problem with the human race. Sin. Part of sin means that we strive to receive the glory when the glory only belongs to God. We strive to receive recognition for things that really should be pointing to Jesus. And so the more we can understand the enormity of God, the magnitude of God, his creation and his glory and his splendor, the more we can truly believe and understand that, the more we will then desire to remove our sin so that we can better understand the greatness of a God that we have. So please know this, sin is much more than breaking rules. Sin is separating us from God. It's much more than breaking rules. It means that you are choosing not to have eyes that will see God for who he is and his enormity. And now you're focusing on self. That's what sin does. It reflects things right back on you. And so now you just want to be talented. You want to have abilities and you want everybody to look at you and go, man, that person is awesome. Not because you have the enjoying of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the loving God, but because you have stuff and you have talent. And he never says that that doesn't matter. He never says talents don't matter. He says, they don't matter if you don't have the love of Christ. If you're not using them to portray the love of Christ, to share the power of a forgiving and a gracious God, then they mean nothing. Here, here's another way to think about the love of Christ. And this is these, I'm gonna give you four things. And these are things that help you to understand what we're gonna learn over the next month. I'm even contemplating in November after the, this series, preaching just a month on the power of forgiveness and what that really means. Here, here, here's what these things about the love of Christ really are. Christ-like love, this is what it is. Because he's saying, if you don't have Christ-like love, you don't have anything. You're gonna, we're gonna get to this in a second. You heard it read right at the very beginning of the message or the, the service today. Four quick things about the love of Christ. Christ-like love sacrifices. Everybody say that together. Christ-like love sacrifices. 
We already know this. Christ sacrificed his life on our behalf for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. That's what Christ-like love does. It is defined by sacrifice. So right away you go, man, if I'm making more about the presence and the love of God in my life than I am my talent, I could, you could probably tell people pretty quick what you're sacrificing in order to love other people. Not being inconvenienced by, don't confuse inconvenience and sacrifice or inconvenience and surrender. What are you sacrificing right now in order to love someone else? Christ-like love, second, Christ-like love is expected of the believer. It's expected. Christ-like love is expected of the believer. Now, we're going to dive into that more, too, because the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. It's the greatest commandment, right? We'll get into that more. It's the Shema tied to the Old Testament. So here's the Shema saying, listen, this is what you have to do. It's expected of you. It's the greatest commandment we have is to love like Christ. And if, love like, if Christ-like love is sacrificing, that means it's also expected of the believer. Christ-like love, third thing, it surrenders expectations. Did you know that if you ever get married, you're going to naturally have expectations of the spouse that they will not meet? Has anybody ever encountered that before? Raise a hand. And because I just want to see how many of you who have been married, you're lying, right? Right, you know, right? We naturally have expectations. I expect this, I'm going to get married. It's just going to work itself out. So then you don't even have the conversation. I'm sure they're going to do what I want. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had somebody tell me that in counseling once. And they said, I'm sure she's just going to come around. I'm like, oh my, please don't get married. You have so much to learn. I, because we have these expectations of others. Well, Christ-like love surrenders expectations. I didn't say surrenders biblical understanding, but it sacrifices individual expectations that you might have with someone. Christ, for another thing about the love of Christ, Christ-like love is grounded in forgiveness. Say grounded in forgiveness. Man, that's a hard thing, isn't it? I wish we did a better job teaching our children to be excited about forgiving others. But even when we speak about it, I've done it. I've got several kids, right? And I, well, buddy, you, you know, you need to forgive them. And I speak to them about like, I know you don't want to, and it's not natural, but you need to. I should be, you know what? Christ forgave you. You get to be excited about forgiving them. Well, they didn't ask for forgiveness yet. They didn't say, I'm sorry. You know what? It really doesn't matter if they say, I'm sorry. You can still forgive them. Forgiveness has everything to do with the person doing the forgiving, not the person who did you wrong. It has everything to do about your heart. And so you're like, you know, somebody comes to you and they've done you wrong. They go, hey, I just want to say I'm sorry. I recognize that. And you're like, oh, do I forgive and done? It's already been, really? Yeah, please. You know what Jesus did for me? I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner, man. I, and, and he just said, I, I got you. So don't worry about it. It's all good. I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it may not be easy to love you, but I'm choosing to, and you do it anyway. Christ-like love is grounded in forgiveness. And so here, they're struggling to understand these general concepts about the love of Christ. And you're going, really? Yeah. Remember, this is a rebuking of them. And they have every talent. I already told you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. And then we're reminded of Matthew 7. I told you, right? So I'm, I got a lot of text for you. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. We know that this is part of the Sermon on the, Sermon on the Mount. 
M-O-U-N-T. Somewhere on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, beginning of Jesus' ministry off the Sea of Galilee. He starts, thousands of people come to hear him. This is really important for you to know. I talk about it all the time. And he comes, and this is part of what he says. He says, Lord, Lord. He's giving an example. He's like, on that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? So they were celebrating because they had prophets and they could prophesy. We got, we got people who can, this is chapter 12. We got people who can prophesy in the name of Jesus. Look at us. This is awesome. And then he's going to say, man, I got people who can do miraculous things. We got a miracle working God and they can cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Look at what they can do. And all these mighty works that they can do, the power and the strength working through them. And then you're going to depart from me and I'm going to declare, I never knew you. So Jesus is literally stating in the beginning of his ministry, some of you are going to claim to have all these abilities. Yes, you can have abilities from God and talents and not be Christ honoring. So you better know if you're wanting to be talented or if you're wanting to be spirit filled. The ability to be talented versus being Christ-like. What a beautiful combination when you can have talents and gifts and know that you had them from the Lord, but in humility you can say it's all for the name of Jesus Christ. You can have every talent there is and not be Christ-like, even though you claim to be a Christian. Here Jesus is saying, man, you can have all these miraculous powers. And look at you, you're so cool. But at the end of the day, you're going to depart and I'm going to say, I never knew you. Right now, this should be triggering. Man, am, am I making too much of talents and abilities rather than my attitude and who I am in loving like Christ? This should be, I, 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 I kind of want to just sit down and let you just contemplate for a bit. We'll all just get in line, get a cappuccino, and just sit and think. He says, I will declare to you, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. You, you don't even get it. You have every talent, every opportunity, every gifting, and yet you don't get it. That's why I already referenced Matthew, uh, Matthew 22, 33 through 40. That's the first and second greatest commandment. Matthew chapter 22, go ahead and write it down if you would. Get a phone out, whatever. It's going to be a great week for you to go back and read through all these texts and go, man, this really does matter. It says, so this passage is the Pharisees, um, they had been silenced with the Sadducees as well. They met together and they began to question him. And an expert in the, in the law came to Jesus, right? And he says, which is the most important law, which is the most important commandment of Moses to keep? So he says this, questioning. He's going to try to, what they did is they always tried to trap Jesus with their questions. And so he's like, which is the most important? A lot of times Jesus responded back with a question. Here he just says, he says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your, with all of your, and all of your. This is the first and the greatest commandment, right? Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Everything else depends on this. Everything else. So, again, I, I like, I, I think I'm calling out the people that have to have everything organized in the garage because that's partly me. Like, I, I, I want things neat and orderly. I feel like I can have better rest if that's the case. But if I'm not doing that at some point to say my fulfillment is still found in Christ, there's a problem. There's a problem. I'm finding fulfillment in the wrong thing. 
And he's saying, don't you know that primarily you, you have to love? This is the greatest commandment. This is not the greatest suggestion. It's the greatest commandment. So for the believer, this is a commandment. This is, that means it's a must do. That means there is no other option. You better have the love of Christ, which means you are willing to sacrifice and surrender your own expectations and to forgive and to, to make sure that you're lifting others up in the name of Christ. If you're not doing those things, I went through some of those characteristics of the love of Christ already. If you're not doing those things, it doesn't matter. You can be the most talented. You can be the most gifted. You can make the most money. You can have the most number of businesses. You can have the most degrees. You can have the most number of instruments that you can play. It does not matter. So what we begin to recognize is that biblical love is unconditional love. Ever been to a wedding? You've heard it before. Unconditional love doesn't depend on the attitude or the actions of the one that you love. Unconditional love, biblical love, Christ-like love, it doesn't depend on if it's reciprocated. Which means when you love other people, your, your response is not, well, you're not doing that back. Have you ever sent out a love message to somebody and um, you're like, I just, you want to profess your love to them and it's not reciprocated? Anybody ever done that before? I've done that before. Um, sadly, every once in a while, I'll do that to my own wife. Now, I know she loves me, but she'll be busy doing something. So like, I'm like, I'm going to send my wife a text and I'll send her a text. And it's like, hey, honey, I just want to let you know that you're a woman of God and I love you and I cherish you and I'm so proud of you. And I love how you're just living in the streams of living water and you're finding your confidence in the Lord. And I can't believe that God allowed me to line up my life with you. And I can't wait to grow old with you. And I'm like crying as I text. And she goes, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, Really? That's, and then I'm calling her. I'm like, that's what you got. Thanks. Just poured out my soul. Anybody else ever done this before? Nobody else. Cowards. Cowards. I literally, this happened recently. And I, but I know, listen, my wife's amazing. It's just like, I'm like, man, could you not have been like, hey, thanks. I'm, I'm busy right now, but I can't wait to love you back. <laughs> Something. Well, that's unconditional love. Like, you, you love them anyway. You love them anyway. And you're like, you know, I, they're still being rude to me. Like, why am I loving my spouse? Because I just want them to know Jesus so bad. So bad, I want them to know Christ. But you just love them anyway. Right? That, that's, it's Roman, I, again, Romans 5.8. This is the love of God that he would pour out his love for us. And, that's, and very simply, that's what it says, that while we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's this love that it's speaking about. So I'm going to keep spending some time on this love because you need to understand we're not talking about living the same way we've been living, that we're being transformed by him. That's what the love of Christ does for us. In fact, here in this passage, you, the Greeks, ancient Greeks, right? Here we are. We know that they had four different types of love, right? If you don't know them already, I'll give them to you. I'm going to rattle them all very, very quick, all right? Eros is the very first time, E-R-O-S. Here it is. It's the word for, the word for erotic or romantic love. That's one type of love. That's what I would have for my spouse when I profess my life to her and all the ways that I care for her, and she says, cool, right? So that's, a different, that's one type of love. 
Storhe is another one. It's, it's, it's that family love. It's between like me and my kids. It's a different type of love. It's deep and it's intense, but it's a different type of thing. And I tell you what, if you, if you ever know, uh, want to know what it is to sacrifice in loving someone, just have a, have a child. I'm like, right? Because you're going to love on them and love on them and then just go to the bathroom again. Uh, that's the first three years. I, you're know, like, man, I'm just loving them. And yet you recognize you're just going to love them anyway. And they're going to say mine before they say dad. But you're not going to be bitter about it. And you're going to grow and you're going to love them and cherish them. And, right? But they teach you that. That's that story type of love. Uh, philia or Philadelphia, right? That's why it's called that. That's brotherly love. That brotherly affection that you have, somebody, uh, have with somebody. And it's that deep friendship. I think about um, David and Jonathan about the friendship that they had with each other, the depth of it. To me, that was a philia love. But then we also know that agape love is that love that doesn't change. I've already said it, but agape love, it doesn't demand or expect repayment. I did this for you, and so now you expect something back. And when somebody says, comes up to me and says, hey, Man, I, I got an issue. I remember when, and as soon as they said, I remember when, I go, oh, boy. One day they did something nice for me, and now I, got, I need to, I think they bought me a cup of coffee once. I better buy them a cup of coffee. You don't do it for that reason. That's agape love. It's self-giving love. It, it gives without expecting anything in return. It loves without changing. It is given to what you would say is sometimes even the unlovable. Even when it is rejected, even when your love is rejected, you still choose to love them. Even when it's rejected, you still, to, you still choose to love them. Even when you know you need to care for someone and love them, and they reject it, and they still act out in hostility toward you, you still choose to love them. And so he's saying that's the type of love that you have to have. You have every talent, every gifting, but you're not doing that. That's what we're going to have to sit in over, the, over these next few weeks to go, wait a second, maybe we need to start understanding and processing biblical Christ-like love a little bit better. Because we can also get in a, a rhythm, we get in a motion of the way that we know how to love, and so then we stop growing in a greater, more intense way because like, well, this is what we've always done, but what we've always done isn't a true reflection of the love of Christ. And so now we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? I do. I love second service because we have a larger break between this service and the next service. Get comfortable, amen? Amen? Okay. Okay, now you agree. Um, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not... I am a noisy gong or a clanging. Please don't break. I was like, I'm not going to break that. Um, that's all you are. It's gone. Like, do you still hear that? No, you don't. 
It's gone. Every You can have the ability to speak in tongues and to speak of angels. You've got to remember during Paul's day, they believed that there was a, a, a language of angels and that language of angel, angels, if you could ever have that, it's like, oh, wow. So he's like, you can have everything that you've, you've elevated. So often we've elevated certain gifts and certain talents. We do it in our world today. We already know that. And even in the church, they were elevating certain gifts and certain talents. And he's going, it doesn't matter. If you don't have love, it's nothing but a clinging symbol. It doesn't matter. You can think you're the coolest person and you're able to do this and to do that and look at how talented I am. And I had a 4.4. Somebody's like, I had a 4.4 in high school. I'm like, 4.4? I didn't even know you could have over a 4. I know I graduated, so take that. It doesn't matter. You can have prophetic power. Wouldn't it be cool to have prophetic powers? He just talked about that. We make a lot of that today too. Like, oh, prophecy and all this. He's like, it doesn't matter if you don't have love. You can understand all the mysteries and have all knowledge. You can be the smartest cat in the room. Does anybody know somebody who thinks that they're the smartest cat in the room? First of all, that's weird because they think they're a cat, right? But like, you, you know, so they're like, they always have an answer to everything, no matter what. And even if they don't know, they speak with such confidence, you end up believing it. You know that person? And so then you research and you're like, you know, I think, I think you were right. Oh yeah, I was. that's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said. You can have every prophetic power. You can have understanding of all the mysteries of the universe or whatever else you want. It doesn't really matter. It says all mysteries and all knowledge and even have faith as to move mountains. That'd be pretty cool. And I can, mountain, right? You can have everything you can imagine. But if you don't have love, I am, I am, I am. You got to get that. It doesn't say I'm not quite as cool. It says you're nothing. It's nothing. It doesn't matter. That's why here at the church, and I'll get to the text. That's why, and you can say standing is good. You can do that, whatever. Um, I, we're trying so hard to be spirit-filled and not just do, like we want to do things with excellence. I think you have to try to pursue excellence to try to pursue holiness. I get it, and I love that. While at the same time, if we are not filled by the enjoying of the Holy Spirit, nothing we do matters. If we don't have genuine, earnest hearts for this world to know the power of a forgiving and a gracious, sacrificial Jesus, the son of the living God, it doesn't matter. We can do everything with excellence. We can do everything as best and better than everybody. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Only the love of Christ really matters. We'll go back to the text. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, you're the martyr. You're like, oh, look at me. I want to martyr, right? But if you don't have love, I have gained what? Mm. Love is patient. Love is kind. Maybe you see it. So here he is. He dives in and he's letting them know, man, love is superior to everything else. So that, that will shift if you're, if you're starting to pick up what I lay down here. When you go home today, the way you choose to love someone, the way you choose to love a, a kid or a friend and you're going to call them up or a spouse starts to shift because you're not going to play the same routine. You're going to choose to love them with the intensity and the love of Jesus Christ, that agape love. 
So the Corinthians, here they are, just to give you a quick understanding. Once again, they're, they, were, they were somewhat, I would say, fascinated by the spiritual gifts. They were certainly uh, captivated, if not fully fascinated. They're captivated by the spiritual gifts and who can do what. And Paul says, you're, it's meaningless without love. You're a clanging symbol. Another, another way to think, you're, you're nothing but empty noise. Even, even as a parent, I often think to myself, are my kids listening to me because they think that they have to or because they want to? And some of you, you're going, well, I said such and such, and people have to listen to you. Maybe you're the boss, but they don't want to because you don't do it in love. He mentions these, these, these tongues, this, this idea of languages, and I already told you the supernatural language believers thought that people had with Jews believing angels had their own language. And you say, it doesn't matter. Prophecy, knowledge, faith to do miracles and the power to move mountains doesn't matter. They are irrelevant apart from the love of Jesus. But yet we know many today are more concerned with being talented than being spirit-filled. So I'm going to keep, I'm, I know I'm, you're going, okay, move on, I get it. Well, no, no, no. Our lives would change if we really get it. Be transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the renewing of our mind, if our minds are renewed, we are transformed in the spirit. He even, this, Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Paul is just referring to Jesus when he talks about the ability to move mountains. So here's Paul. He's coming in to reach Gentiles, and that's why I mentioned that a week ago. So here's Paul, and he's reaching all other people, and he's just referring to a lot of the words and the things that Jesus did. So in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus is talking about that ability. And so here comes Paul, and he's like, you can have this ability. It doesn't matter if you don't have the love of Christ. You think you could have the faith to do the impossible, but even with that type of faith, we're nothing without the love of Jesus. Even dramatic self-sacrifice, no profit without love. It says you can give away all you have. That, that reminds me of Matthew 19, 16 through 30. Jesus is speaking about the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, 16 through 30. He's talking about the rich young ruler, and he's like, listen, you, you got to give, give away all you have to the poor and then come and follow me. And the guy goes away, and he's what? Sad, because he's not willing to do it. But yet here's Paul going, you, you can give away all you have, but you've got to do it with the love of Christ. You can be a martyr, but if you're not a martyr for Christ and you just want to be a martyr because you're like, oh, I'm even going to deliver up my body to be burned. And you're dramatic in it, and you're like, oh, I'm just suffering for... Some people are just, they're so dramatic in their, their inconveniences. Because I, I want us to be very careful about how we label, just how we've, we've convoluted the, the meaning of love. We've also convoluted the meaning of sacrifice. Sometimes we're just inconvenienced, like, oh, I'm sacrificing. I'm not showing up. I'm not going to the 8 o'clock. You know, I want to go to the 8 o'clock service in the 9.15, but I, I'm, I'm going to go to the noon to make room for some other people. Oh, what a sacrifice. That's, you're being inconvenienced. I appreciate it, but you're being inconvenienced. That's an inconvenience. So you can be all dramatic and look at what I'm sacrificing and look what I'm giving up and look at what I'm doing. 
But without love, it doesn't matter. Everything described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a good thing. Now, hear me say that too. All of these gifts are good things. And all of this knowledge, it's a good thing. Faith is a great thing. Sacrifice is a good thing. But what he's letting them know is like, listen, they were intended to be used out of the context of the love of Christ. So without love, they just don't matter. So I'm not saying those things are irrelevant. I'm just saying that, well, actually I am. They're irrelevant without the love of Christ. If you can't do it in a way that reveals and shows the power of the love of Jesus, it really just doesn't matter. When people describe you, do they go, man, he just, he or she, they're just willing to love in the manner of Christ, no matter what happens to them. They're so eager to forgive. I'm always going to, I told you a lot of passages today, I'm always going to compare this to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, when it's talking about what matures, mature believers do and how they live. And I love the fact where it says they, they all right, I speak about it a lot. They, they're willing to, you, you want to outdo each other in showing honor. You want to outdo each other. In, and I love that language because I'm a competitive individual. So to me, it's a competition. I'm going to show my wife more honor than me. And it has nothing to do with her. It's just that, that's my mentality. I'm going to be quick to forgive. I want to outdo other people and being quick to forgive and them going, why are you having lunch with me? I did you wrong. I'm going, ah, ah man, you know what Jesus did for me? That's figure it out. doesn't mean I want to give you the keys to my life, but I, I love you. You're a brother. Philia love, right? Let's go. Why do, we make it such a, why do we make such a big deal about people who are willing to, willing to forgive us for things that we've done to them? Because we actually don't expect it because it's rare. I think we should make it more commonplace. So someone does you wrong and your attitude is, I, whoa, I get to forgive, the, I get to model Jesus right now. I get to forgive someone? Let's go! You get pumped. You're like, I get to, this is so good. I get to start demonstrating the very thing that Jesus Christ did for me. That type of love changes an environment. It changes a community. It changes a family. It's different. And then he says this. He's like, love is patient and kind. I'm just going to conclude with this. Uh, the word here for patient is actually uh, long-suffering. It's a good word. It means it's willing, patient. It's willing to endure for a long time. So some of you are going, I just, man, I just need my spouse to come along. Man, I need them to, to acknowledge God, and I can get them to come to church here and there, but they want to engage, and they're so consumed with self, and you're, you're saying all this to yourself, and you're thinking, you're going, and, and this is what I'm going to tell you. Keep praying. Be patient. Be long-suffering. Just keep praying. Yeah, but you don't know how hard it is. Long suffering. Keep going. I may not. I don't have to understand your pain to know that I love you and that Jesus loves you. I have other pains. It doesn't matter. You're you're just you're long suffering. You're waiting for your kid. You got a kid that stepped away. 
because they're so tired of the legalistic church that maybe you grew up in and they're like, I'm out, I'm not doing this anymore. And they've been influenced by the world because of the school that they went to because if they go to any school, they're gonna be influenced by the world and they didn't know how to process all that and, they're, and you're just gonna pray for their anointing and that they would come to encounter God and that they would be like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and they would run back and not that you would judge them but that you would be just like the heavenly father that you would jack up your robe and you're going to run to them and instead of telling them all that they did wrong, you're going to say these words, I love you. I forgive you. We're going to throw a party. It's long suffering. It's patience. That's what the love of Christ is. And these people are so gifted and so talented, but they're not being patient with each other. Well, you should have known that already. Didn't you already know that? Blah, blah, blah. Don't, don't, don't be that guy. I remember something happened in my life. This was probably 10 years ago, and somebody came up to me, and it wasn't a good thing. It was just like, oh, how did that happen? And the very friend of this guy, he goes, I just need to sit down with you. And he came and sat down, and he goes, how did you not know that would happen? That's his first words to me. I literally, I stood up, I left the room. Because the only reason you start the conversation that way is to feel better about yourself, acting as though you would not have made the mistake. Got up, left the room. The love of Christ is long, it's patient and it's kind. And it's willing to do for others what you don't think they're willing to do for yourself. That is the definition of it. How do you need to love someone else with the love of Christ, even when they're not willing to love you with the love of Christ? They may be annoying and they may get on your last nerve, but it doesn't matter. The power of the love of Christ transforms all things. It transforms all things. It changes all things. It shifts all things. I love how honest people can be with me sometimes. I really do, because I had one guy, and he's, just, he's like, man, can I just tell you something, Pastor? I was like, sure, what do you got? He's like, I know I need to get my neighbor to come, but I don't want my neighbor to come to church because I don't like him. My response was, well, all righty. I said, I love that you're acknowledging. Pray that God will change your heart. It took him six months. He finally said, friend, you got to come to church. He called him friend. You got to come to church. It took the friend, neighbor, six months to come to church. That person now in this church loves Jesus Christ, and his entire family has been restored and renewed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. That's the love of Christ. Will you love as Christ? Some of you are doing a beautiful job. And I see the way you care for people and what you're doing. And I just say praise be to the one true Lord because it is an honor to him. You're, you're giving honor to the feet of Jesus. Thank you. May we know more of what it is to love as Christ.
Lord, I come before you. And I'm asking that you would allow us to even comprehend and to better understand the love of Christ. I think this is something we so easily say that sometimes we forget the significance and the meaning and the depth. It is deep, God. It is deep. May we, may we understand the depth of the love of Jesus and, and God somehow, not in our, our sinful nature, because it's certainly not going to happen, but because of, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, may we have a desire to, to show it to other people. May we have a desire to show it to those that we really just don't want to show the love of Christ to. May we have a desire to be eager to forgive, to outdo one another in showing honor, and to be patient, long-suffering, and kind. I thank you for so many brothers and sisters in this place who are living it out, who are striving to be that. I pray that you give all of us that courage, that motivation to love as Christ has loved. Amen.